Finally! It's been a long time since I dropped one episode. I'm really sorry about that. I hope you're all doing great during the summer. Remember our last episode? We heard four jingles, right? Okay, well, forget it now. In this episode, we're going to hear the first part of the 11th chapter of our book, A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett, and a jingle from The Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells. I'm starting high school today, so wish me luck, because I don't even know who my classmates are, or my homeroom teacher, or what class I'm in. I know the grade, though. Ninth. Hopefully. If you're new here, you should probably pause here. Well, wait until I'm done explaining and then pause. And go listen to all the other episodes I've done. Except the one before this one, if you're just catching up, you can skip that one. It's only four jingles. Do as you like. Also, everyone, remember I got a new email. It's readingbookswithnudie at gmail.com, and you can always find it in the show notes. You can send me an email to say hi, give me suggestions, or even send me a jingle you made up. Do you remember what happened in the last chapter? It was such a long time ago, I don't remember. Let's refresh our memory a bit. We found out Sarah's papa died, so she was made a slave, or a servant, in the school where she was in. She thought Ermengarde wasn't her friend anymore, but one night, Ermengarde went to her room and they became friends again. Sarah also met Melchizedek, the rat, and the large family, whom she's given all these long names because she doesn't know what their real ones are. She got mad at Emily, but then she was very remorseful and asked forgiveness. Remember, Emily is her doll. She found out also that an Indian gentleman was moving in next door and that he was very ill. And this is where our story picks up. Let me see if I can find it. There it is. All right. Chapter 11, Ram Das, part one. There were fine sunsets, even in the square sometimes. One could only see parts of them, however, between the chimneys and over the roofs. From the kitchen windows, one could not see them at all, and could only guess that they were going on, because the bricks looked warm and the air rosy or yellow for a while. Or perhaps one saw a blazing glow strike a particular pane of glass somewhere. There was, however, one place from which one could see all the splendor of them, the piles of red or gold clouds in the west, or the purple ones edged with dazzling brightness, or the little fleecy floating ones tinged with rose color, and looking like flights of pink doves scurrying across the blue in a great hurry if there was a wind. The place where one could see all this, and seem at the same time to breathe a purer air, was of course the attic window. When the square suddenly seemed to begin to glow in an enchanted way and look wonderful in spite of its sooty trees and railings, Sarah knew something was going on in the sky. And when it was at all possible to leave the kitchen without being missed or called back, she invariably stole away and crept up the flights of stairs and, climbing on the old table, got her head and body as far out of the window as possible. When she had accomplished this, she always drew a long breath and looked all round her. It used to seem as if she had all the sky in the world to herself. No one else ever looked out of the other attics. Generally, the skylights were closed, but even if they were propped open to admit air, no one seemed to come near them. And there Sarah would stand, sometimes turning her face upward to the blue which seemed so friendly and near, just like a lovely vaulted ceiling, sometimes watching the west and all the wonderful things that happened there, the clouds melting or drifting or waiting softly to be changed pink or crimson or snow white or purple or pale dove gray. 
Sometimes they made islands or great mountains enclosing lakes of deep turquoise blue or liquid amber or chrysoprase green. Sometimes dark headlands jumped into strange lost seas. Sometimes slender strips of wonderful lands joined other wonderful lands together. There were places where it seemed that one could run or climb or stand and wait to see what next was coming. Until, perhaps, as it all melted, one could float away. At least it seemed so to Sarah. And nothing had ever been quite so beautiful to her as the things she saw as she stood on the table, her body half out of the skylight, the sparrows twittering with sunset softness on the slates. The sparrows always seemed to her to twitter with a sort of subdued softness, just when these marvels were going on. There was such a sunset as this a few days after the Indian gentleman was brought to his new home, and, as it fortunately happened that the afternoon's work was done in the kitchen, and nobody had ordered her to go anywhere or perform any task, Sarah found it easier than usual to slip away and go upstairs. She mounted her table and stood looking out. It was a wonderful moment. There were floods of molten gold covering the west, as if a glorious tide was sweeping over the world. As deep, rich yellow light filled the air, the birds flying across the tops of the houses showed quite black against it. "'It's a splendid one,' said Sarah softly to herself. "'It makes me feel almost afraid, as if something strange was going to happen. The splendid ones always make me feel like that.' She suddenly turned her head because she heard a sound a few yards away from her. It was an odd sound, like a queer little squeaky chattering. It came from the window of the next attic. Someone had come to look at the sunset as she had. There was a head and part of a body emerging from the skylight. But it was not the head or body of a little girl or a housemaid. It was the picturesque, white-swathed form and dark-faced, gleaming-eyed, white-turbaned head of a native Indian man-servant. Alaskar, Sarah said to herself quickly, and the sound she had heard came from a small monkey he held in his arms as if he were fond of it, and which was snuggling and chattering against his breast. As Sarah looked toward him, he looked toward her. The first thing she thought was that his dark face looked sorrowful and homesick. She felt absolutely sure he had come up to look at the sun, because he had seen it so seldom in England that he longed for a sight of it. She looked at him interestedly for a second, and then smiled across the slates. She had learned to know how comforting a smile, even from a stranger, maybe. Hers was evidently a pleasure to him. His whole expression altered, and he showed such gleaming white teeth as he smiled back that it was as if a light had been illuminated in his dusky face. The friendly look in Sarah's eyes was always very effective when people felt tired or dull. It was perhaps in making his salute to her that he loosened his hold on the monkey. He was an impish monkey and always ready for adventure, and it is probable that the sight of a little girl excited him. He suddenly broke loose, jumped onto the slates, ran across them chattering, and actually leaped onto Sarah's shoulder, and from there down into her attic room. It made her laugh and delighted her, but she knew he must be restored to his master, if the Lascar was his master, and she wondered how this was to be done. Would he let her catch him? Or would he be naughty and refuse to be caught, or perhaps get away and run off over the roofs and be lost? That would not do at all. Perhaps he belonged to the Indian gentleman, and the poor man was fond of him. 
She turned to the Lascar, feeling glad that she remembered still some of the Hindustani she had learned when she lived with her father. She could make the man understand. She spoke to him in the language he knew. Will he let me catch him? she asked. She thought she had never seen more surprise and delight than the dark face expressed when she spoke in the familiar tongue. The truth was that the poor fellow felt as if his gods had intervened, and the kind little voice came from heaven itself. At once Sarah saw that he had been accustomed to European children. He poured forth a flood of respectful thanks. He was the servant of Missy Sahib. The monkey was a good monkey and would not bite, but unfortunately he was difficult to catch. He would flee from one spot to another like the lightning. He was disobedient, though not evil. Ramdas knew him as if he were his child, and Ramdas he would sometimes obey, but not always. If Missy Sahib would permit Ramdas, he himself could cross the roof to her room, enter the window, and regain the unworthy little animal. But he was evidently afraid Sarah might think he was taking a great liberty, and perhaps would not let him come. But Sarah gave him leave at once. Can you get across? she inquired. In a moment, he answered her. Then come, she said. He is flying from side to side of the room as if he was frightened. Ramdas slipped through his attic window and crossed to hers as steadily and lightly as if he had walked on roofs all his life. He slipped through the skylight and dropped upon his feet without a sound. Then he turned to Sarah and salamed again. The monkey saw him and uttered a little scream. Ramdas hastily took the precaution of shutting the skylight and then went in chase of him. It was not a very long chase. The monkey prolonged it a few minutes, evidently for the mere fun of it, but presently he sprang chattering onto Ramdas's shoulder and sat there chattering and clinging to his neck with a weird little skinny arm. Ramdas thanked Sarah profoundly. She had seen that his quick native eyes had taken in at a glance all the bare shabbiness of the room, but he spoke to her as if he were speaking to the little daughter of a raja, and pretended that he observed nothing. He did not presume to remain more than a few moments after he had caught the monkey, and those moments were given to further deep and grateful obeisance to her in return for her indulgence. This little evil one, he said, stroking the monkey, was in truth not so evil as he seemed, and his master, who was ill, was sometimes amused by him. He would have been made sad if his favorite had run away and had been lost. Then he salamed once more and got through the skylight and across the slates again with as much agility as the monkey himself had displayed. Jingle time! Unfortunately, I don't have a listener-written jingle this time, hint, hint, but you can always send me one to my email. This jingle is called a bicycle built for two. Oh, and before we start it, I need to explain to you one word that comes out in this jingle. It's mean, which is spelled M-I-E-N. It means manner or like behavior or how you do something, okay? Here goes. A bicycle built for two. There was an ambitious young eel who determined to ride on a wheel. But try as he might, he couldn't ride right, in spite of his ardor and zeal. If he sat on the saddle to ride, his tail only pedaled one side. And I'm sure you'll admit that an eel couldn't sit on a bicycle saddle astride. Or if he hung over the top, he could go, but he never could stop. For of course it is clear he had no way to steer, and under the wheel he would flop. 
His neighbor, observing the fun, said, I think that the thing can be done. If you'll listen to me, you'll quickly agree that two heads are better than one. And this is my project, old chap. Around our two waists I will wrap this beautiful belt of bottle green felt and fasten it firm with a strap. This done with a dignified mien, the two squirmed up on the machine and rode gaily away, or at least so they say, who witnessed the wonderful scene. You see, animals help each other too. Do you think we can learn anything from animals? Well, there's one very classic example who's the ant, who's always working and never lazy. And another example are these two eels, one who helps the other, showing kindness, and the other who just keeps trying, showing diligence and patience. I'm sure there are more things we can learn from animals. Can you think of any? And with that question, we're going to finish off the episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and come back on Monday. Sorry, not Thursday, because I'm only going to do one episode a week now, because, you know, school and all that. So come back on Monday for a brand new episode. Great big humongous thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound you heard today, and to Project Gutenberg for the books we read. See you soon!